Well, thank you guys for being here today. I am excited uh, to be with Cody Foursquare this morning. As uh, he was saying that I go around sometimes in this district, kind of giving some reprieve to senior pastors and also interim pastors who maybe have to travel. So I've, I've been to Laramie and, and um, Casper, been to Newcastle, and now I get to say I finally have been to Cody, Wyoming. And I'm very excited about Cody, Wyoming. This is a beautiful drive up. I came from Scotts Bluff, Nebraska on the western side. And Nebraska is not so great. But once, once you get into Wyoming on that side, right, it really is beautiful. Uh, so I would like to thank you guys for hosting me. And because I really got some great prayer time going through some of the uh, different tunnels and stuff. And me and my kids were actually up here a couple of weekends ago. And they loved driving through those three tunnels and seeing all the snow-capped mountains and everything. So it was great. So this is a great place to be. So I'm so happy that I get to be with you guys here this morning. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 24 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack open Psalm 24. Uh, And I I want to start by saying that context is key. How many of you guys could say that? It's kind of hard to, like, read the end of the book and fully understand what is happening, or to jump into one of the Marvel movies at the very end, maybe Endgame, and watch like the last 30 minutes of it and expect to know everything, and you understand why the snapping is like a big deal, and why the stones are kind of a big deal, right? It's extremely hard. Context is key. It's extremely hard when we don't fully grasp what is going on. So let's provide a little bit of context into Psalm 24 before we fully dive in. 1 Samuel 4 is where Phyllis, where uh, we're at. David has defeated the Philistines, okay? But the Philistines had just defeated the nation of Israel. But they hadn't just defeated them in 1 Samuel 4. They had, taken, they had taken what was most dearest to them. They took the Ark of the Covenant away from them. And in verse 22, it says that the glory of God has departed from Israel, for the Ark of God has been captured. So Israel, they had lost their way. They had lost their first love. They had lost their calling, and ultimately they had lost their identity. They found themselves in turmoil and wrestling, and the prophet Samuel tried to step forward and take control and lead them, but to no avail. And then King Saul stepped in, and he began leading them, but he really tried to bully their way forward, and that didn't work either. Then Saul was killed in battle, and King David was anointed as the new king. And King David came along, and the Philistines had been beating them down for years and years and years. And King David had the audacity to go against the Philistines and beat them. And he did what the people thought was impossible. He went and retrieved, he regained the Ark of the Covenant, and he began to bring it back. And he instructed his warriors to bring it back into the city of Jerusalem, and they began to do so. But they did so carelessly, and they did so disrespectfully. And in 2 Samuel 6, they didn't make it. They failed in their attempt to get it to Jerusalem. And in fact, one of the men even died in the process. And they stopped short, and the Ark of the Covenant ended up at a man's house named Obadiah. And even though David and Israel had recaptured the Ark of the Covenant, this holy thing that had been their identity, even though they had recaptured it, they hadn't recaptured their reverence for the king. Me and my wife, we were traveling back from a Rockies game, and we were living in Laramie, Wyoming at the time, and so we're taking 287, and I was driving a little bit faster than I should, 
my foot was on the pedal a little bit too much. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And um, how I knew I was driving too fast is the red and blue lights in my rear view started flashing. Yeah? You ever had that experience? That's always a great experience. That's a fun experience. So I pull over, and the patrol officer comes up, the trooper comes up, and he asks, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And to me, that's always a very trick question, because, like, how am I supposed to respond to that? Part of me wants to be kind of silly and goofy and weird and say, like, well, that depends on how long you've been following me for, right? Or maybe you're pulling me over just to compliment me on my sweet driving skills, right? Maybe that's, that's what it is. Uh, and he says, no, I did say one of those two things. I will not tell you which one I said. And um, so he said, no, actually, I pulled you over because you were speeding. Why were you speeding? And so I told him, well, you know what? My buddies just flew in from California. So we picked them, at the, picked them up at DIA. We went to the Rockies game. We kind of timed it. And now we're back home. We're going back home. So we just got to talking, laughing. And I had my foot on the pedal. That's why I was going too fast. And he said, wait, your friends are from California. I'm from California. Where are they from? And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. We got this Cali connection down. So I am in the back, rolling down the window, right, for my friend to talk to the patrol guy. Get me out of this ticket right now. You guys make the Cali connection, right? Amen. And then I'll just say, I'm sorry. And he's going to let me go. And maybe even after, he's going to allow us to speed home, maybe even give us an escort home, right? And we're all going to hang out and have fun. And this is going to be a great great time. So I give him my insurance card and my driver's license, and he comes back and he hands those two things to me along with a very long piece of paper. And uh, I, my heart sunk, and I grabbed the piece of paper, and I was not happy. And I knew two things in that moment were going to happen, right? One, I no longer liked this dude from California, okay? Go back to California. You're not my friend anymore, right? But number two, number two, it is harsh. <laughs> but number two, I knew that I wasn't truly repentant about the speeding, right? I was sorry for the action. I was more sorry that I got caught. That's what I cared more about. The Ark of the Covenant was recaptured by Israel, and they were bringing it back. But they couldn't get into the glory of the Lord just because they had the right thing or that they said the right thing thing. Are you with me? Do you get it? They can't get into the glory of the Lord just because they have the right thing or they're in the right place. You can't get into the glory of the Lord by giving lip service, a true repentant heart. Do you ever say something that you don't really mean? You have the right content, but there was no true heart behind the words that you were saying. We can see this regularly through watching the news or any sports interview, right? The guy gets up with a fancy background, gives a great speech, a great lecture, talks about all the great things that he's doing, and then we have a panel of experts over here analyzing every single word that that guy just said and how we are supposed to interpret his words. We can see this. It happens all the time. To get into the glory of the Lord, they had to have, we have to have the right attitude, a humble and pure heart before the Lord. And David goes from being very angry to confused, and then he moves into this place of humbleness before God. And it takes him three months to work through his anger, the confusion, and then being humbled before the Lord. 
after he failed to get the ark back into the city. So David and his men, they come back, and this time, they come back with a different attitude. At this moment, they pick up the ark of the covenant, and they go back, they go humbled, they start by sacrificing unto the Lord. And then they begin praising God, and the scripture says that David dances before the Lord with all of his might. So it's right here in this emotional place that Psalm 24 is penned, our main text today. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. A different translation says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. David starts in this place of humility by acknowledging the, greatest, the greatness of God. If we start our days right here, a lot of our problems would be solved. If we start by saying, God, this earth is yours and everything in it. You own it. You own my day. You own my schedule. You own my appointments. You own all of my relationships, Lord. It would change the way that we would look at things, and it would change the way that we would treat the people around us. We would have a different attitude towards our entire day. I remember one of the first times that I got disciplined as a child. Children in the room, listen, you might get saved a little bit here. So most Saturday mornings, my dad would cook breakfast for us, and most of those breakfasts would include bacon, because bacon, right. So after we would have breakfast, right, the bacon grease would be in the pan, and it would cool, so harden, and then we would scrape it into the trash, right? So what I would like to do what I did most of my growing up is on Saturday mornings, once the grease was hardened, I would draw designs in the grease. Triangles, shapes, whatever came to mind. I don't know if you guys remember like the S money sign weird thing in the 90s, right? I would draw that 19 times in the bacon grease. And um, I remember one time my mom said, Shane, did you draw in the bacon grease? And I said, did I draw in the bacon grease? Because you know whenever your parents get you off guard, kiddos, you, you really want to pose another question to buy you just a little bit more time on your answer, right? Any other students do that? Kids do that? There's a hint for you right there. If you don't know the correct answer, just pose a different question. So then I asked another question opposed to that. I said, why would I draw on the bacon grease, right? Smart, right? Another question posed to buy me more time on my lie. So my mom came to me and she said, I know that you drew in the bacon grease, and can I tell you something, that like any good artist, whenever they create a masterpiece, what do they do on the masterpiece, on the art? You would typically sign your name, right? I was so proud of my masterpiece that I drew my name in there. I was not able to weasel my way out of that. I have no idea how my mom cracked the case on that one, right? And I learned a lesson in that moment. Okay, I, I learned it many times throughout my childhood that even though I had any time access, free access to almost anything in the house, my parents still own the house and everything in it. And when we have an understanding of verse 1, when we have an understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it changes the way that we treat his creation. It's no longer just nature. It's no longer that person. He has created every person on this planet. He formed them from the womb, breathed his very breath into them, into me, into us. We would treat people with a different level of respect and a different level of responsibility. If we start our days and our prayers like David did right here, 
what would it do? By starting and acknowledging the work of the Lord and acknowledging the greatness of God, we open up a connection to God's heart for his people. I have found that in my marriage that if I don't acknowledge the good things about my wife, and I, I begin to take her for granted, right? And if I don't acknowledge the good things within her, I lose that thankfulness that I truly have for her and vice versa, right? Like if I know I did something amazing for my wife, I want to hear about it, right? Like the dishes. If I knocked out the dishes, because we don't have a dishwasher, because Nebraska, so um, it's kind of a pain to do the dishes. I'll just say that. And so whenever I knock out the dishes, like I want to hear, hey, that was a great job. Thanks for doing that. Or if I randomly start a load of laundry and not just start it, but move it to the dryer and then fold the laundry, right? Because it's not just starting the load of laundry. That's not really that special, right? Like that's, that's two buttons. It's not that hard. But if I move the laundry over to the dryer and fold it and put away all three of our kids' clothes away, that's a big deal, right? And I want to hear that. I want to hear, hey, great job. That's good. And that's called praise. And our Heavenly Father isn't so different from us in the sense that he loves to hear our praises. And it's not just good for him to hear our praises. It's good for us to give praises to him because it changes our perspective on life. It changes our perspective on what we have within our life and God himself. Verse 2, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So this is a reference back to Genesis 1 where we see that water existed before dry ground. Genesis 1-6, from out of the water God called forth the sky. In Genesis 1-9, and from out of the water God called forth land and sea. What was once formless and empty, void and nothing, God brought out of the sky and sea and land. He called it out and he spoke it into existence. When our words reflect his word, his word becomes our verb. It becomes an action. Let's look at the verb in Genesis 1. David says that God said, let there be light. And God said, let the waters gather. And God said, let the land produce. When God speaks, things begin to happen. When God speaks, blessings begin to pour out. Where there was emptiness, where there was nothingness, where there was a void, God spoke life and then it came forth. When you praise God and you open, or when you praise God, you begin to open the floodgates of God said into your existence. The most creative place on the planet for me is, is my prayer closet. And I even joked this morning that um, prayer doesn't matter. I shouldn't have said that, but that was kind of funny. And I forgot that this was in my, in my passage. So now I get to redeem myself, worship team, for saying that, ah, it's just prayer, it doesn't matter. So now, 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 now I get to redeem that. I, I shouldn't have said that in the first place. So whenever... The prayer closet is my most creative place. And it's not necessarily a closet. It can be in my room, right? It can be in the shower. I love taking long walks, and that is my time to connect with the Lord. And things begin to work out. My problems begin to be solved, right? I find creative solutions to my issues and my problems. Things begin unlocking in my brain with the Lord's presence as I invite him in. Things begin to happen. I find vision over my home. I find vision for myself. I find vision over my workplace, over my projects. I find conviction in my own heart because I have access to the Lord's voice in my life. When we open up, God said, his blessings begin to pour out over us. David begins his prayer with praise. 
And then he asks this pivotal question in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And some of us have done this. We've, we've had an experience with the Lord. And we've seen his hand at work in our lives. And we've ascended the hill of the Lord. I know when I was younger, I saw a couple of my friends ascend this hill, and, and I was kind of confused, to be honest. I didn't really get it. I didn't know what was going on. But whenever I made the decision personally to ascend the hill, to chase after Jesus for myself, and I stood in his holy place, and I put stakes in the ground, and I resided in his presence, and I painted my address on his curb, I made it a point to reside in his presence. That's when I found true rest in the Lord. That's when I stood in the presence of God. That's when the spirit of the Lord came upon me. And that's when the Holy Spirit completely took over my life. And then something happened called transformation. A work of the spirit of the Lord that works from the inside out. Making me completely new in Jesus. Making us completely new in Jesus. And that is called salvation. And he makes that available for all of us today and I had a great friend who was growing up who I really admired. He was a few years older than me, and we were neighbors out in California. I'm also out in California. That's why I was a little harsh to Californians earlier. Don't hold that against me. And um, he was a couple years older than me, but it seemed like he had life together. All the things that I wanted, he already had. So it was very easy for us to connect, for us to share stories, and to chase after the same things. Does that make sense? And then one time the Lord really got a hold of him, and he transformed his life, completely made this huge shift. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Like, it looks like you were having so much fun. This was easier. This was a lot cleaner. It seemed better. Why, why the shift to church? That seems a little restricting. Why, why the shift to Jesus? That's a little weird. Only one way to heaven. There's probably more ways to heaven. It can't just be Jesus, you're putting all your eggs in that basket. And I was really thrown off by this. And so we would have conversations every once in a while. And then he moved to Wyoming. He moved to Laramie. And I was in West Texas at the time. And I, I was making a lot of mistakes. And so I decided for a change. And it just made sense for me to move to Laramie, Wyoming, to join his family and his two kids at the time, just for a, a change of scenery, just to get something a little bit different, figure out life. And uh, he was a youth pastor there at the time in Laramie, Wyoming. And he invited me on a retreat, knowing that I had zero experience with the Lord, with Jesus. I had zero knowledge of the Bible. But camp numbers, the retreat numbers, excuse me, were too big on the boys' side. So we just needed someone extra to make sure the other boys didn't chokehold each other and took showers. <laughs> right? Like, that was my main responsibility. Make sure all the boys are breathing and make sure everyone showers at least every other day. Right? Because we can't say every day because junior hires don't like to shower. But every other day is a little bit more reasonable. And so that was my first experience in a church-like service. And I remember the first night seeing some of these students break down and chasing after the Lord. And I was very confused, if I can be honest. What in the world is going on? What is happening? And the second night rolls around. And the Lord begins to speak to me very clearly. And I remember bawling. And my wife is playing the keys over there, so she's seeing me ugly cry, which is always fantastic. 
But that was the day that I decided to continue to climb the hill, to ascend the hill. I finally got what the goal was. What was the point of chasing Jesus? This was the point. And as I was praying over this message this week, I was praying, God, what do you want to do? So on those long walks that I talk about, I love taking walks, I was taking the Lord and praying, and, and he kept giving me this image of a steep hill, and multitudes of people were at the bottom of the hill. And they were content with their journey to get to the hill and to look at it. And some even talked about how great that hill looks. And then only a couple people actually began their ascent up the hill. Sadly, most of the people remained at the base of the hill, thinking that was good enough. At least we made it to the base. They loved talking about ascending the hill. They talked about how they believed in it, how they believed in the blessings of it, and how they were good things that could come from ascending the hill. But they just kept talking about it. They didn't actually do it. It was only those who ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place that receive the blessing of God and understand his presence. In Psalm 73, David is lamenting about how the wicked prosper and they find wealth. It's him lamenting on how things aren't fair. You ever felt like things aren't fair? Probably everyone should be shaking their head. So Psalm 73 is a great place to, to read about. And in verse 16, it says, When I try to understand all of this, how the wicked prosper, how the good people keep falling and falling, nothing is, they're not getting a clean break. There's no blessings flowing. It's only for the wicked. When I try to understand this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. See, some things you can't get until you get into the presence of the Lord. Some things you will never understand until you spend time in God's presence. Your determination has to match your desire. Fight for the Lord's presence in your life. I'll say that again. Your determination has to match your desire. Good intentions are no excuse for a lack of action. Faith is not faith until you take that first step. Faith is not faith until you take that first hill. Faith is not faith until you ascend and you stand in his presence. You see, we get it mixed up. We think the goal is to possess the presence of the Lord. And that's what Israel did. That's what they thought. The ark of the covenant. They got it. So they possessed the presence of God, but things didn't go so well for them, right? The goal is actually the opposite. The goal is for the presence of the Lord to possess us, to live our lives right here, submitted to the holy God, releasing and letting go of who we are and giving God all that we have. This is a good time to say right here that if you don't have to have it all together, you don't have to have the right tools to start your journey up the mountain up the hill. You don't have to have it all together to come to the Lord. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to invite Jesus along for your journey. That's it. Verse four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The older I get, the more I realize that there is a big difference between the perception and reality, right? Between the outside me and the inside me. 
People see clean hands, but God sees a pure heart. Clean hands will impact our actions, but a pure heart will impact our attitude. A pure heart will impact our attitude. Clean hands will do the right thing. A pure heart will do them for the right reasons. Clean hands are our actions. A pure heart is the motivation. Clean hands are what we do, and a pure heart is why we do it. And Lindsay and I, we've been kind of going through some of the Psalms, and I, I really like the idea of David's prayer journal. How many of you guys write your prayers down in a journal? And I, as we were doing that, whenever I first heard that, I was a little weird by that. Like, guys probably don't journal, and guys probably don't write down their prayers. That seems a little weird to me. And then I started reading the Psalms, and I'm like, holy mackerel. David, David, God's mighty warrior, man after his own heart, this is his prayer journal right here in the Psalms. So we've been talking about the Psalms a lot lately, and and my wife said there's always this connection with David and the Psalms about a pure heart. Every chapter that we read, she's pulling that out. God is pulling out of the scripture and this realization that it doesn't matter how well I have it all together on the outside, The only thing that matters is my heart, a pure heart. What matters to God is a pure heart. That he looks down and only you and he know exactly where you are. Is your heart fully submitted to the king? Clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In uh, 2014, me and my wife, we had the opportunity to, to go to India and Nepal Beautiful countries. It was great. We lived there for about 10 weeks with about 12 other uh, peers, 12 other people about our age. Uh, and it was wonderful. And there's a great thing that you need to know about India and Nepal is that the water, you can't really drink it. You, you can, but odds are you'll get bugs and worms in your stomach, and that's bad. So you're supposed to drink bottled water, right? And so what happens is, because of the tourism, you'll see if you go, Buckets, rain buckets, rain barrels on top of houses. So the roofs are actually flat, and then there's huge barrels on top. And they have, it's all hooked up, so that way it flows to the sink and the shower. And that's used for outsiders, right, for travelers coming in. And what happens is, sometimes trees, right, leaves drop into the barrel, or twigs drop into the barrel. Dust storm comes, dust becomes in the barrel, and it kind of compromises the water that is inside the barrel. And over time, all those things begin to wreak havoc on the water and how drinkable it really is for outsiders. So our team was very dependent upon the source and the cleanliness of the barrel, but also the water coming down. Here's what I'm trying to say with that story. The problem is not the source. The problem was never the rain. The source was always good. The rain is always good. The Lord is always good. The source is working, but in those clogs, in the dust storms, in the twigs, in the leaves, in our hearts, it stops us and it stops the access to that beautiful, wonderful running source that is always working. So today, do you need access to the source? Do you need to clean out your heart, the rain barrels of your heart? What are those things, those twigs, those leaves that are coming between you and God? What are those clogs in your heart 
so that you don't have access to his blessings anymore, of his goodness anymore. Maybe it's your social life. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's work. I know for me, I've, I've allowed things to come between me and the Lord, and often it's my schedule. I allow my schedule to often come between me and my walks, me and my time with the Lord. My time commitments often supersede that relationship with the Lord, and sometimes I skip my chair time, my devotional time, my walk, but more often than not, it's just me checking off the box, kind of like washing my hands after going to the bathroom. It's something that I'm doing mindlessly, and it's just part of the routine. I'm not checking for a pure heart. I'm not letting myself truly soak in his presence and truly get into him. Because I know when I soak in his presence, he begins to speak to me. And when he speaks to me, like I said earlier, things begin to happen in my life, in your life. And in my Western mindset, I often think more is better. Like the more books that I have on my shelf that I've read, the more ideas that I get, the more stuff that I have in my head, the more stuff in my life, more is better. But God says, no, more is not necessarily better. This is for me personally. Not even less is better. And here's where the plane really landed for me. The simpler, the better. No matter how many times I try to cut down or riddle down my schedule, it rears its ugly head again and again. Does anyone have time commitments that come around again and again and again? And you just can't break that cycle. No matter how many times I try and change it, I consistently lose that battle. And we have to identify our priorities in life. And then we have to fight for those things. So here's what I've learned. When I allow my schedule to control my priorities, the urgent becomes my God. When I allow my schedule to become my priority, the urgent becomes my God. But when I focus on my priorities to lead my schedule, God always takes care of the urgent. Isn't that a great thing? If you give him what you have first, and the scriptures say he's going to take care of the rest. So let me break it down kind of in my terms. In an opportunity to teach or have an experience with my children, with my, with my daughters, five, three, and then we have an eight-month-old, if I have an opportunity to teach them, train them, spend time with them, I will cancel whatever's on my books because I want to be in their lives. I want to be ingrained with them. Or if I have an opportunity to meet with someone, my schedule all of a sudden gets shift. Because I love people, I have a saying, I enjoy the people work before paperwork, right? So people have to kind of come first, and that's something that I keep right in front of me. That's always kind of in the, in the forefront of my brain, is people have to be first. People matter, so the paperwork can probably wait. It's okay. Deadlines are sometimes suggested. But if I have an opportunity to spend time with my girls, if I have an opportunity to bring life to someone or to teach them a little bit about Jesus, I choose that over my schedule, right? Don't let anything get between you and God. That's what the scripture is saying. That's what it's talking about. It's saying don't put any idols before the Lord. We just don't need a new revelation of God's power in our life. We need a simple reminder of God's purposes within us. So the question to that is, what have you walked away from? Maybe you haven't gotten away from God and things are, are clogged up right now, and you don't hear from him very often, not as much as you'd like, or maybe you haven't heard from him for a very long time. 
can I tell you that he is calling you back this morning. He is calling you back today. He is calling you back this day to come back to him to a simple place, to reclaim his presence and his blessings that he desires to put back into your life. And that's what he does in David. Psalm 24, David fails and his men fail before the Lord with the Ark of the Covenant. He takes time away and then he comes back to a place of humility before God and he begins to sacrifice and praises God for who he is and for the greatness and he resubmits himself to the Lord. And in that moment, he's humbled himself before the Lord. And this is what it says in verse seven. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king, the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the king of glory. And we live in this age of, of self-centeredness where everything is, is about us, right? Who am I? Who am I becoming? What should I do? Who should I do it with? And everything about always trying to understand ourselves, but we also need to realize not just who we are, but who God is. Finding out who I am has to be connected to the great I am. Those things come together and they're interconnected. They're woven together. And that's what's so awesome about David here, the, the character of this story. He knows who he is and he knows who the Lord is. He's the king of Israel and he's reestablished the nation of Israel and brought them back into power. He has gone to the very enemy that has held them captive for countless years and generations. And he's reclaiming the Ark of the Covenant. And he brings the Ark back. He knows who he is. He is the king. And everyone should be pointing at him. But David gives the very thing that is most dearest to him. The very identity that he had. And that everyone else had for him. He gives that to God in this moment. He gives his kingship to the Lord. You can see this image in your mind today as you read the scripture, the image of David leading his warriors after a great victory over the Philistines. And they have the Ark of the Covenant and they see the city of Jerusalem up ahead. And they begin walking towards it. Can you picture it? And David is calling out, lift up the gates, O ancient gates, because the king of glory is about to come in. And people are thinking, yes, that's David. And David says, no, this is a sign of a political shift, of a social shift. The spiritual capital of our nation and the king of glory is about to come in. And it is no human king. The king of glory is who is the great I am. And he begins to step towards that. And David, impressed with prayer, begins to call out, and his emotions well up with praise, and God begins to well up within him. And he doesn't just say a prayer. He doesn't just speak a prayer. He doesn't just sing a prayer. He says it in the first line, who is this king of glory? And his Jewish culture then to repeat back the answer. So not just a person, not just a group of people that David was with, not the warriors, not just a select few, but the entire nation that was there that day. Who is this king of glory? And the whole nation shouted out, he is the Lord strong and mighty. Can you picture that in your mind? And he says it again because when you mean something, you got to say it twice, right? 
Who is this king of glory? And the whole nation shouted, he is the Lord, strong and mighty. So my question to you now is, where are you? Are you standing at the base of the hill watching others ascend it? Have you ascended the hill before, but you need to go back? You need to stand in his presence. You need to paint your address on his heavenly curb. Maybe you're unsure of this whole Jesus thing, and why would I even climb a hill? What does that have to do with Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. If you are, then I invite you to open your heart to him as we pray and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, as we sit in your presence now, we invite you to search our hearts, Lord. Speak to each and every one of us right now about what our next step is in our daily pursuit of you. And with every eye closed, head bowed, no one looking around, if you're, if you're making your first step towards Jesus today, making him the king of your life, making him the savior of your life, on the count of three, I would love for you to, to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. Okay, one, I promise this will be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. Two, it's your chance to follow Jesus, and it's the best journey you will ever be on. And three, go ahead and raise your hand if you're making that decision today. Make eye contact with me. Great, great. So the next part, if you're at the base of the hill, desiring to begin your climb, or you're climbing again to paint your address on the curb, I'm going to ask that you also raise your hand in the presence of God right now, symbolizing your first step in climbing that hill. So same idea on the count of three, raise your hand if you're saying, I am making a step towards Jesus today. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, good, good. Well, Lord, I thank you for all the people who have, who have raised their hands, Lord, who are chasing after you who want and desire to know you more, Lord, to be in your presence, Jesus, who have made the declaration that they are climbing towards you, Lord. And I thank you that you are a God who transforms our lives, that you are here speaking and transforming us right now. May the glory of the Lord fill our hearts, fill our days, and fill our minds. May the glory of the Lord consume us all today. Amen.